Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Roulette Podcast. I am your drinking host, Mike Spriegel. I am your, I can't really say non-drinking host because I am drinking as well, so I suppose I'm the other drinking host, John Lundquist. I am uh, currently drinking a surly overrated beer. Uh, the name of the beer is overrated. They temporarily discontinued to create artificial demand because they're mean like that, and they have now as a limited release. Oh, how I've missed you. I I miss West Coast IPAs altogether just because it used to be the main thing when like, craft beer blew up, but now it's all about trends. It is. Darn beer. I am drinking a Dragon's Milk White bourbon barrel aged milk stout. Or white stout, rather. Sorry. It's good stuff. I haven't had this one before. Their Dragon's Milk is probably one of my favorite uh, stouts overall. I can't remember if I called that one out when we did our favorite beers a few episodes back or not, but Dragon's Milk is good stuff. This is also equally good. That's good to hear. Well, this episode... Uh, I guess kind of a scattergory episode. we got a few uh, mini topics for us to go ahead and peruse over, ranging from uh, Star Wars, Disney uh, shows in terms of Marvel, as well as a uh, little concert talk as well. Going through the housekeeping first, first and foremost, make sure, you know, I'm not going to say it, don't make sure. I mean, if you want to, go on to Facebook, go on to Twitter at Geek Roulette. We're not going to force you. You, you do what you do. You know what? You know, we're on various platforms. You know what I didn't realize? I didn't realize I had our RSS feed not submitted to Stitcher. What the hell? Well, I just fixed that today. Good job. Where'd right. you go? Well, I was, like, going through things. Remember, I was telling you about the email about, like, a sponsor thing. I'm like, oh, whatever. Let's take a look at that. But then it's like, wait a minute. What platforms am I currently active on? So I just quickly did a double check on things and realized that Stitcher I wasn't on. So you know, I'm on, we're on Spotify, but not Stitcher. You know what they say? Stitcher's for chumps. Pretty much. Yeah. Wait, who says that? They say that. I don't know what the, Stitcher. You're a fine, fabulous platform, and I we hope, appreciate you. We, we hope we flourish through you, and we add like five listeners. <laughs> yeah, baby, that'll double our listenership. Wait, that's pretty optimistic or depressing. <laughs> um, uh, recommendations. Let's kick into that before we do our arbitrary list. Uh, my recommendation. I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to recommend a show that it's, it's the one that always brings a laugh to my face. It's a British BBC show, only six episodes long. It is called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Ah, uh, yes. Didn't we watch a couple of episodes of that a few years back? We, uh, maybe I, even the whole thing, I think. Possibly. I've, I've, well, I've always liked to watch the whole thing for the most part. Essentially, the whole premise is, is that it was about a show that, uh, a fictional show that a horror writer, like a Stephen King style writer, made in the 80s, but it was too shocking and controversial that the BBC wouldn't show it, but because they were having a TV drought, they decided to air the episodes. So it's a show, but then they have, like, the actors <laughs> doing notation in between scenes to explain certain things out. Great show. Matthew Holness plays the main character, Garth Marenghi. You have uh, Richard Ayode from um, uh, am I, the IT uh, Yeah. IT crowd. IT crowd. He's in there as well as a few other different things. And, of course, the legendary Mad Berry is in there as well. So uh, great show. You can find it on YouTube or online streaming around. It's only six episodes, but it's some of the funniest TV that you'll ever find, especially the whole 80s hook and feel of it, too. So uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is my recommendation. Nice work. Mine's not so much as a recommendation as a couple of mini, I don't know, let's say mini reviews. I watched a couple of short little series on... It's called Recommendations, John, no, not mini it. reviews. I'm bucking the trend, goddammit. Okay, if anybody wants to be my new host, just send me a message. <laughs> 
Um, but yes, I watched uh, Russian Doll for one, and what was the other one? The one? I can't think of the name of it. The one with friggin' Paul Rudd. Life Living with Yourself, where he clones himself. Both are both, they're like half an hour episodes and like eight to ten episodes each. Um, good stuff. I can't give it like a super strong recommend. They're entertaining enough. They're quick. Um, Russian Doll is kind of like a dark humor version of Groundhog's Day, where the main character dies on her birthday and then comes back to the same part of the of the day where she wakes up in the bathroom and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Um, like I said, kind of a dark humor type thing. Um, it was entertaining enough. Like I said, it went 10 episodes, which is probably about as long as it should have gone. If it had gone much longer, it would have been dragged on for a bit. But it's funny, entertaining, also has got some serious bits in there. Um, good stuff there. And Living With Yourself with Paul Rudd. Um, he basically, I don't know, I don't want to give you too much, but he ends up meeting a clone of himself and life and wacky hijinks too, and also some serious stuff as well. Um, and that one kind of set itself up for a second season, which we'll see if it happened or not. I haven't really heard a whole lot about that series, so I don't know if it did well or what's going on, but both are entertaining and they won't take you a whole lot of time to watch if you are so inclined. There we go. Great. Yes. Fabulous. Look at my sound levels right now. My sound levels still seem low right now. Jerk. I don't know what I did. See, the problem is I try to keep the settings exactly the same, but the kids were down here playing with things earlier. I don't know if they hit something and... Kids are like that. Yeah, they're just monsters, aren't they? Yes. Yes, they are. Well, hang on. Let me let me hit this button and see what this button does. Ah! Actually. Yep. Do it again. Ah! Nope. Nope, nope. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our arbitrary list instead of listening to... I don't know what kind of scream that was either, <laughs> by the way. That was one of the worst. That was an impromptu scream. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, that was just, yes, random scream, number two. Number two? I, the next time, hopefully, number one's a little bit better. So well, Maybe. We'll see. <clears throat> so uh, for the arbitrary list, the topic that I posited to my compadre here, who, remember, if you want to... Be on the show and replace him. Just what? What? What are you saying over there? Nothing. Damn. Anyhow, Damn. Uh, the list is going to be top three comic book dash book properties that we want to see as either a TV show, streaming series, or movie that are not already made. Yes. You want to start, or you want me to go? Uh, I'll have you uh, do your first. Alrighty. See, and this time I actually stuck with the theme. You'll be you'll be happy to know. Yeah. The past couple of times I've been pretty pissed with you. Yeah. Jerk. Um, I basically just kind of thought about my, my trade paperback shelf on at home and my what would be good on there. The first one I came across is 100 Bullets. I think this would probably almost work better better as a TV show than a movie, so maybe I did screw it. Did we, did we say specifically just movies or just say... No, I said either TV show, streaming okay. series, or movie. Good deal. Maybe I, I thought maybe for a minute I did screw it up. Um, but 100 Bullets I think would work probably better as a TV show rather than a movie. Um... So it's very episodic in nature. The the premise of that is there's a guy going around agent is it agent Graves or just Mister Graves? I forget. It's Agent Graves. He has a case with a hundred untraceable bullets and a gun in it, and he kind of picks a few people and says, "Here you go. Here's a gun and a hundred bullets. You can do whatever you want with them. Nothing will ever come back to you." And then he kind of just leaves. And it starts out as kind of very. He picks a few people at random, or seemingly at random, and then things kind of start to come together after the first three or four or, story or it's not as say. random as you actually yeah, think and it's, it's not quite as random um 
and the story goes on. I actually haven't finished the series. Actually, it's kind of one of those I want to sit down what and just the finish hell? through. How are you recommending a series you've never finished? Because I got good two thirds of the way through, and it's still recommendable. Two thirds. Um, I've read the whole thing. The whole thing is absolutely fabulous. It man. is exactly. Finish it. Yes, um, but anyway, well, I'm um, looking at my shelf. I can get you like all my copies. And well, I have it. I, I own it. I just you know, I'm just you know, it's not on the Marvel Unlimited app. So damn it. <laughs> Jesus um, but yes, I think that would work, would work very well, and you know, it'd be one of those that people we talk about ends up with this big conspiracy and all sorts of other stuff going on. And yeah, I don't want to go too much, but Hundred Bullets is on my list. Yeah, I could see that as a streaming series. I I don't think a movie would do it itself justice, but no. All right, uh, I'm gonna have for uh, my number uh, three, and this one's a cheat in some ways. Because oh, now who's screwing with the format? No, it's a cheat because I don't think it's ever going to get made the way it's going. But it is supposed to be being made. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, Why the Last Man. Yeah, I almost had that on my list too, but I figured since it's technically in development, it's been like, in eh. development for so long. Yeah, the whole uh, purpose of the series is that some sort of plague annihilates and wipes out almost the entire male population, save but one man and his monkey. Yes, everything with a Y chromosome. Yep. And it's essentially uh, basically a quest where a doctor as well as a couple government agents are trying to transport them across the country to safety as well as trying to also equally find out what the cause of the whole... Well, it's basically, isn't it even more simple than that? Isn't it essentially he's trying to find his girlfriend? It's a combination of things. He's trying, right. to, he's trying to find his girlfriend, but the government's trying to keep him safe. But yeah. also the doctor man is trying to also figure out you know, why he survived and to see if there's yeah. a way that... Make sure that mankind's not doomed because without the Y chromosome, you know. And that series I did finish. That is good stuff. And yeah, I think I remember originally it was proposed as a movie, I think, like the first time. And I think I'm glad that that didn't happen. I think now this time around, I think it's being a, as a series well, somewhere, but I forget where. It's supposed to be a series. Then they just had the recast or lead actor. It's It's been in like development for years. It's been something that's going on so long that <clears throat> it's kind of one of those situations you worry about it's like listen if it's taking this long to make will they make it and as even you i think what tends to be the kiss of death with most shows is that once you hit multiple years in production you don't have anything to show for it that's when most like you know networks or studios sit there and say we got to shut this down we've lost too much money on the first place the other one that comes to mind is uh that i just saw some news on today is sandman seems to have been in development hell for a while but then today they just said that filming on that i think it's supposed to start in may or something like that i didn't read the actual article saw a headline Somewhere. Somebody posted about uh, Why the Last Man on uh, Facebook, and my response is almost feels like it's going to be like the Don Quixote of our, you know, of yeah. let's say comic book movies in the sen- our show or comic book shows in the sense that it's been around, everybody keeps trying to make it, but it just never seems to happen. So, yeah, which is kind of weird because you wouldn't think it'd be that hard. It's not like it's a super, wouldn't need a super huge budget. I think it would work excellent as a TV show, but I think it's a concept that's hard for some people to wrap your mind around and i can understand why a network would get skittish about it is how do you have a whole series which has no men except one man in it and you know yeah. what's your demographic you're trying to hit on that so but why the last man as i said it's a cheat because it is a development but it's been yeah. development so long i just want to see it finally get made and made well I'll give you that one. Um, my next one, all three of mine are kind of different genres. I'm not sure if this would work better as a movie or TV series. I think probably TV series now that I think about it. Um, and that is Usagi Ujimbo. I've been kind of reading through the, the omnibuses of that. And if you're thinking of Usagi Ujimbo from like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as this kind of 
kitty childlike cartoon type thing. It's, you know, it's this bunny rabbit samurai guy. Um, you're kind of missing it because it's, yes, he's a rabbit and he's a samurai, but, you know, everybody in that universe is, you know, a different kind of animal. But it's all done very seriously. Like, it's, you know, he's this wandering ronin samurai. Um, and he, he basically just runs into all these different situations. And, you know, there's good action in there, good storytelling. Um, and I feel like it'd be, if you could get a really good, nice animation down on that one, you know, it'd be good as probably a series. I could see it done as a movie, though, too, maybe, I suppose. Um, not necessarily something big that would be released in theaters. But um, I can see that being, you know, really interesting, pulling the pulling some people in um so yeah yusagi Jumbo. all right with uh that being said uh i'm gonna say my next one it's gonna be by warren ellis i'm gonna say transmetropolitan it's a uh, kind of a futuristic book about a journalist that left journalism industry because of how he just hated what it became he hated the people he interviewed he did a lot of political interviews and he moved to the mountains but with uh, all these political changes happening with upcoming elections and everything else, he gets dragged back in also because he was still has to owe a book for a deal that he made. And it covers basically, it's, uh, I want to say, 50 issues? 60. Yeah, somewhere in that neck. It's 50 to 75, I think. It was not 75. Somewhere in there, yeah. But, I mean, essentially it covers just how he starts covering politics again, just getting back to things. It's dealing with his own personal demons as well as then becoming a almost an enemy of the state where it's funny when we talk here about how many people talk about fake politics and how the media is the enemy. The book posits the other way around. It's how the politics keep your, you know, all the politicians honest by making sure that, you know, they realize that they can only hide so much. And great read. I yeah. would say that's something I would love to see as a series. That's what I could almost, I'm almost kind of surprised the climate being what it is today that that hasn't come back as like a limited series or something like that, you know, as a, as a comic book. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see that, especially nowadays going pretty well as a, as a series. My last one is the goon, um, which I think I've previously recommended as a comic book. And it actually had like a Kickstarter several years ago that like to back like them to make a pitch, which I always think is kind of a weird idea. Like, Hey, this Kickstarter isn't going to make the actual movie. This is just so we can pitch it to whatever studio. Um, which always seems like an odd thing for me for Kickstarters. But I think The Goon has kind of a weird sense of humor. I think especially nowadays with uh, Rick and Morty and shows like that kind of going over well, I think it could be something that would be, you know, could fit right in with those crowds, you know, because it's got a, you know, a strange universe, an odd sense of humor. Um, and you could do, I think it'd probably be animated, but you could probably get away with it being live action. Maybe I'm not sure if that would work as well. But uh, um, The Goon, I think that would be some cool stuff. Um. I would say this, uh, one other thing, and this is something I, I want made, and, and there's a lot of things out there that I am happy that are being made. I mean, some of the things that are being converted over, like I'm stoked about the upcoming Netflix series for Bone. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot that that was happening. Yeah, that should be cool. Yep, that's going to be good. But once again, this is another one of those series that has been in development for several years, and the odds of it getting made seem to diminish more and more. Robert Kirkman... Uh, had a series he worked with a few different people. Eventually, other writers like Andrew, Andy Diggle and a few others would write on it. It was called Thief of Thieves. And it's a, it was a series about a retired thief, master criminal thief, who gets pulled back into the business because his son, unfortunately, commits some crimes and he needs to 
bail his son out of the situation, which only just draws him in more deeper and deeper because there was unfinished work he did when he retired as well as a thief. Uh, it's about almost like a 40-some issue series, if I remember correctly. Does It's a very intriguing series and just well-done characters itself. But once again, it was something that Kirkman announced back in 2013. It was going to be adapted by AMC. 2017, he said he's still working on it. Once again, once you hit that long, usually if it hasn't happened, it's not going to happen. But I would love to see this uh, become an actual show. Yeah, and so. you almost wonder if that isn't just because he's been so busy with Walking Dead that he just hasn't given that the time and whatever that. Is he busy with it. Walking Dead, though? I think so. Isn't he still fairly involved with that? Plus, they've got that new spinoff miniseries series thing that they've got coming out for it. I, I'd say that Kirkman's phase of his career right now, he's more of the businessman. I'd. I mean, yeah, he's got the probably the executive producer credits, and he has all these other things. But there's, it's Scott Gimple that handles most of The Walking Dead as it is right now, and yeah, that could be. I haven't been paying too much attention since I stopped watching, but who knows? Hmm. All right. Onward. Good job. Adaptations. So arbitrary category list of <laughs> things that are going on. Some of these things. You know, just brief topics, but just lumping them all together just kind of as a quick uh, overview. First thing, topic one, we're going to talk a few things Star Wars. So Star Wars, we uh, spent a lot of time talking about them throughout the entire month of December. And, you know, with the reviews of, you know, Rise of Skywalker and a few other things, we're less than a week uh, or a few days away from the Clone Wars, the new uh, and final season of that coming out. So that's going to be something that's going to be great to see. But not all is well in the Star Wars universe, I guess, you know, for the most part. First thing, let's talk about the whole confusion about the delays for Obi-Wan. Yes, there was a, a big kerfuffle, what, a month ago, a month and a half ago, roughly, um, that I think I, everybody kind of blew out of proportion. I think what was the the rumor was that all the writers got fired and or sent home or something like that, that there were all these production issues that were going to delay this thing for Lord only knows how long. Um, and I don't know that I saw anything official, but I know Ewan McGregor came out and was like, guys, you're, you're making a bigger deal out of this than it should be. You know, they're just trying to get things right, and, and you know, well, now, this, this, this isn't the end of the world, basically. It, the show was tentatively <laughs> supposed to come out this year. Looks like they're not even going to start production until next year at this point. Well, and I'm not sure they even ever said when it was supposed to actually start, well, start you know, come out and be released, put it that way. From what I understand, they did have a lot of the script done, and then what started the problem was a lot of script rewrites, where I guess Kathleen Kennedy did not like the direction or some of the things going on with the show. And I think this is where the conflicting reports are coming in. You have McGregor saying, well, no, everything's fine, you know. They're just making sure they get everything right. And in his you know situation... He's going to say that. He's yeah. he's the star of a show. There's never a time you're going to have a star of a show that hasn't been made yet that's going to come out and just shit all over it. So he's saying what Guys, he's, this is fucked. <laughs> right. He's saying what he's supposed to be saying right now. So I don't think you can listen to McGregor, but you still have to look at the where there's smoke mentality in the sense that you know, there are rewrites, there are delays. They haven't even started production well, and, yeah, on this and one yet. thing is, do you think this has anything to do with the success of Mandalorian? Like, do you think they looked at that and were like, you know, hey, guys, Mandalorian did great, everybody loved it, and then they looked at what whatever it was they had for Obi-Wan and were like, we've got something completely different, we need to retool. I, I don't think that at all. I think this is, and this goes back to my frequent complaint 
I, I'm going to say it's Kathleen Kennedy again. And this is one of those things where there's not a clear vision. There's not a clear alignment of what the universe is going to be. Maybe the reason why we're having the script rewrites that have all come in at this point is essentially because they they said, here, write a show about Obi-Wan, you know, while he was like, you know, in the desert. And they did. And then it came back and like, well, no, you can't write about this stuff because these are topics off limit or so-and-so is working with these other topics. And I feel that's where you don't have the right amount of alignment right now, where somebody, the up and top is right now, you know, saying, hey, here's the overall board of how, here's all the topics everything's talking about. Here's the things you can't touch, you can't touch, and this is what's going on. This this is just, once again, I feel why Kathleen Kennedy can't continue to oversee Star Wars, which she is and she isn't. We'll, we'll talk about that in probably just a second. So, um Speaking about other things in terms of, you know, programs. Uh, so the Rogue One prequel. Um, now with that, there's another situation where the production on that has not begun yet. There's little or no details on the show itself. Uh, they still have talked to Diego Luna about it. And he's like, yeah, they're still working on the scripts. They're still trying to get a feeling. But it's going to be, you know, what predates, you know, Rogue One and leading up to that point. <sighs> Once again, is is this a concerning thing when you don't have any details? It's something that's been announced for a long period of time, and it still yeah, sounds like and it's... I think this one I would be a little bit more concerned about just because I think... Like, I'm looking forward to it because, I, you know, I, I liked all those characters. I enjoyed Rogue One. But I think if you look at this compared to, like, Obi-Wan, this is one I think that's going to be a lot less likely to draw, you know, non-hardcore Star Wars fans in. You know, like, they're going to be a casting. Who's this guy? That guy from that movie that I didn't see or that movie that I didn't like? So I think this one might have the potential to where, you know, like, okay, maybe we don't make this or, or you know, this, this one I think out of all of them I think has the potential to be maybe in a little bit of trouble since it's been, like you said, with, you know, the the TV shows you were talking about before, it's been in development for so long and we haven't really seen anything like, you know, oh, they're going to start shooting, you know, at this point. You and know, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of trouble here. I I think the other thing too is, all right, you have a show which has a very, I would say, a finite shelf life. And the reason I say that is, so you're writing about the events that lead up to Rogue One. <clears throat> That's fine. So you already have a show, though, that is based around this era about what leads up to Rogue One. And that's Star Wars Rebels. So obviously you can have the show run concurrently with whatever events happen in Star Wars Rebels itself. It's just... I feel that the need to try to have like a whole complete thing, like, hey, here's what happened between this period of time. Hey, here's what happened between this period of time. That's great, but I also feel it's harder for maybe a show like Disney to invest into a show that you know that only has maybe a couple seasons in it based on... Yeah, and I could see, like, I don't taking place at the same time as Rebels, I don't think bothers me as much. I think it's a different enough theme and a different enough, you know, type of show that I think the two can definitely coexist. You know, this this seems to be like it'll be more of a hard harder edge, like, you know, spy-type action thing, when they, whereas Rebels was more of an ensemble, you know, piece that, you know, focused specifically on a few characters. Yeah, so that one, uh, once again, concerning, and it's not... That's the thing, is that we'll, we'll talk about this later, about the Marvel shows and everything, which is like almost the complete opposite situation what right now Disney is going through. In terms of good news for Disney, they do have the season two of Mandalorian, which has been announced for uh, this fall. So, and, that that's, right, and that's been shooting for a little while now, hasn't it? It's been shooting for a while, and that's 
this this is what I feel good about, and this is what I'll go back to again is that the fact that already such a quick turnaround that shows just how Filoni and Favreau or Farvo. <laughs> Favreau. Favreau. Every time I do that, I think of like Super Troopers and Officer Farvo when I say that <laughs> stupid name. But I mean, it's it's how both of them already had a long-term plan. Like, hey, here's our short-term idea, and this takes yeah. off. And I think they had a feeling pretty good that this is going to work well. Yeah, I think he, he had started working on Season 2 before Season 1 had ever even right. aired. So they, they went into it, had a good plan already, and the fact it's turning around, that's it's a great sign. And for if you're a Disney+, Plus, this show is almost a must in some ways because... When you think about Disney Plus right now, Disney Plus when it first came out, great. I streamed and binge watch a lot of things on there, but my watching of it's gone down dramatically at this point. And part of it is is that yeah. there's there's not a new hook to it. Mandalorian was a great hook that brought people in, and now that you have some of the other uh, Marvel shows that'll be coming out later this year, that's going to draw people in. But they they really needed something strong. And obviously they yeah. had a hit on their hand with Mandalorian, so they Disney Plus really needs this back. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they didn't have one of the Marvel shows lined up for sooner than they do because I don't think those come out till considerably later this year. And I mean, we've got Clone Wars is launching this Friday in a couple of days, but that's not going to be near the draw that Mandalorian was. Honestly, I'm not that surprised by it though. And the only reason why is this: is that Black <laughs> Widow comes out in a couple of months, but we'll assume that Black Widow is also more of a placeholder movie in the sense that it's yeah. it's obviously taking more place in the past because of what's happened to Natasha. It's probably going to set some things up for the future, and I think that's where everybody's waiting for the hook. Same thing with the Eternals. You have I don't think they can release anything really before those two shows because then it tips their hand too much of what's going on, and I think they want to build on whatever surprises they're going to have come out of those two shows right there, or two movies right there. Is Eternals this year or is that next year? Eternals is this year. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah, because this year goes uh, Black Widow, then Eternals, and then uh, next year that's when you have Doctor Strange and you have Thor uh, Ragnarok and, or no, Thor Love and, uh, Love Thunder. and Thunder. Yeah. There's one other one in there I'm misplacing, I think, too. Shang-Chi? Uh, Shang Chi's I no is Ant Man? No, I don't think so. I don't think they've announced another Ant Man yet. We'll, we'll come back to that. I'm sure we yeah. can look that up. But yeah, the Mandalorian I think was just definitely crucial at this point. I think that's once again these guys, you know, Filoni, he knows how to run a universe. You got to get I think Kathleen Kennedy out of there and have Filoni take that over. Yeah, I think we we had mentioned before, I think get somebody else to run it business-wise that's going to be fairly hands-off and just let Favreau and Filoni just run run the shows, run the movie, you know, kind of just be in charge, basically. Like, okay, this is where we need to go. Well, this is where, and once again, I assume this is Disney's hands and trying to, you know, make sure they're trying to protect their investment. But Kevin Feige is right now. Over right now, slotted to help oversee all the Star Wars movies and a lot of more of the Star Wars I stuff. I think it's out. just one movie. I don't. I don't think he's going to be overseeing anything. He's just doing one. I got a feeling as of now. I mean, this yeah. I feel is maybe a test. Like, hey, let's see what happens when we have him. Can he do his magic touch outside of Marvel? Yeah, that could obviously change. But but I, I feel that if he does, then yeah, he. I wouldn't be surprised if they said, "Yep, he's in charge of that now," which. Might hurt Marvel too because you know once again you got so many different things to look at. But that being said, I think the harder thing is this: I've heard three different things about Star Wars movies because I'm still hearing that Ryan Johnson, despite you know them saying he's not, is still going to be slated to write and run a few Star Wars movies. Yeah, that's trilogy. one that people have been kind of you know 
they announced it pretty quick after The Last Jedi that, you know, hey, he's going to do his own trilogy. It's kind of just been hanging there in space ever since then, if you'll pardon the pun. Right. Um, they're still saying, I'm still seeing that they're saying that it's still a go, nothing's been turned off. Yeah, and even, that. even he's like, you know, yeah, we're still working on it. We're not, you know, we're not really sure of a time frame well, or whatever. And his movies are supposed to be still take, I guess, at least in the current Star Wars universe, just a different part of the universe itself. Versus the other thing that they've been, I've been hearing is that you know they originally had the Game of Thrones writers trying to do an old uh, Republic show, and then that fell through. And yeah. and then Disney at one point said, you know what, uh, we're going to try to focus more on our television, you know, premises. Yeah, last I saw, movies. the next movie was supposed to be twenty two, twenty two. I think yeah, like late two thousand twenty two. Right. So I imagine if we see an announcement for that, it wouldn't be for a bit yet. Although. Who knows? It could be at Celebration, which I don't know when that is. The next Star Wars Celebration is coming up, but I forget when. And they could be like, hey, that movie's going to be whatever this. Well, but isn't Celebration like uh, August or September? It could be. I'm not sure. They had the one not too terribly long ago, but yeah, I don't know. I don't so, I don't go to them, so I don't pay too much attention. Yeah. I. So definitely right now, Star Wars, I feel definitely in a huge amount of flux right now. Because outside of the Mandalorian and the wrap-up of the Clone Wars... I don't think anybody knows what the hell's going on. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is they just need to, and maybe that's what they're doing is figuring out where do we want to go from here. We just wrapped up the Skywalker saga. You know, we've got a couple shows in the pipes, but what do we want to do with you know the movies, which are generally the big tentpole things for them? And you know, what what direction are we going? Are we going to go in the future? Are we going to go in the past? Are we going to go just to a different section of the galaxy? Or what what's the deal? And I'll be curious to see where that is because I, for one, kind of am looking forward to them getting out of the original trilogy. Arrow, which kind of even the sequels, you know, sequel trilogy is kind of a part of as well, even though it's, it's technically in the future, it's still really that same era. I'm kind of curious to see whether they do something older or whatever, but, you know, interested to, to do something different. So let's move on to one franchise in disarray to another one that seems to be tightening up a lot of its things at this point. So we'll talk uh, Marvel and Disney how they're handling Marvel at this point. At the uh, end of our last podcast, we did uh, discuss uh, breaking news that Doctor Strange got rid of its director, the one who did uh, Doctor Strange, the first one, and right now they're in talks with Sam Raimi. From what I still see, talks are still ongoing. They're still trying to hammer that down. How, how do you feel about Raimi in that situation? I think, I mean, I think it would be pretty good. Obviously, the... The third one, notwithstanding, those original Spider-Man movies are, you know, pretty great. The first two definitely are rock solid. Um, you know, and they they've been saying for a while now that the second Doctor Strange movie is going to be more of a horror theme thing. He's definitely shown he can do that with you know the Evil Dead movies and a few others that he's done. Um, you know, he just had whatever that alligator thing was wasn't too long ago. Wasn't that a Sam Raimi thing, the Crawl Space or whatever it was called? I don't know. Um, but you know, he's definitely got horror chops too, and I think he can he could have that right mix of the horror plus also that kind of light, you know, Marvel humor that, you know, the, the franchise is kind of known for. Um, so, yeah, if they, if they do end up announcing at some point in the near future that Raimi's going to be in charge of it, I would be, I'd be all for it. And I think the nice thing, too, is that with Raimi having worked previously with Sony and knowing how shitty Sony is when it comes to certain things, I think you'd welcome at least coming to something like this as long as it's in a much more stable atmosphere He's definitely got the chops. I think part of it, too, is that uh, they help keep in mind, too, is this, is that one of the uh, 
one of the things that I think, you know, when we look at Marvel, I mean, Marvel's had some higher profile directors come and go. A lot of people were like, you know, mad about Edgar Wright and Ant-Man. I think people optimistically want to have Sam Raimi do it, but they're not going to force him in there. If they feel he's not going to be the good fit for it at this point, I at least, I, I don't think I'll feel bad if Raimi doesn't get it. No, I'm not going to like, you know, crying my beer or anything. I think, you know, it'd be awesome if he does it, but at the same time, yeah, they've, I, I trust their judgment. I mean, you know, I remember not being as outraged as some people, but, you know, I was looking forward to the Edgar Wright thing and, you know, the Ant-Man movie turned out fine. So I think if he doesn't do it, I trust whatever judgment they have and whoever they end up picking to, to do a good job with it. So moving on to other things. Now, one thing I thought was very strange when they did the uh, whole announcement of Phase 4 is that you saw a bunch of movies, the things that you didn't see, which I thought was very strange, or at least they were pushed out very far, was like the sequel of Black Panther. That was getting pushed out real far. They, you figure, where are they going to make another Ant-Man? But, you know, that was, once again, being kind of pushed out. And one of the strangest ones was Captain Marvel, where Captain Marvel, you know, everybody's like, yeah, they're going to make another one. Well, now the announcements, yes, they are officially moving forward with another Captain Marvel movie itself. And I don't think that's that's just, you know, bad or anything. I think I liked Captain Marvel. thought it was a good movie. thought it was weird that it is being pushed back as far as it is. One aspect that's coming out of this, though, is is that what they want to have the second Captain Marvel movie be focused on. Now, do you have you read or seen anything? I have not. I have not seen anything on this. So what, what, what are the rumors on that? So the rumors on this is that for this Captain Marvel movie, they want to have... Uh, X-Men hero portrayed as the villain. Now, I'm sure you can figure that out. Let me guess, Dark Phoenix? No. Or, or Vulcan? No. Who? Man, you don't know a lot about Captain Marvel, do you? Oh, Rogue? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, you did it. I, I, uh, yay. I don't, I don't know. That doesn't really excite me a whole lot, though, I don't think. It's, it's interesting. I think... You know, the bigger trick is how to introduce the X-Men in the universe. And I feel that that's where Doctor Strange is going to probably, you know, the Doctor Strange movie, as well as even WandaVision, is probably going to play into how the X-Men or how mutants come into the entire play itself. I think I don't mind if they have Rogue be the villain of Captain Marvel for one particular reason, is that you want to... One of the main original themes of the X-Men has always been about fear. It's about, you know, all these you know individuals having power and everything. I think that would be a nice way to help help create that weird tension that mutants could be evil and there's a brotherhood of evil mutants and, hey, this one stole Captain Marvel's powers and everything. Is it early on for that kind of thing to happen? Yeah, but Captain Marvel, she only had, like, didn't have that many issues before she had her abilities and stuff taken back in yeah, the 70s from see, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I would think more... Like, the way I would see this, the next Captain Marvel movies, they, they, they kind of seem to be pushing the Marvel Universe more into the, the cosmic aspect of things, you know, with the Eternals, you know, Captain Marvel, which, you know, is still generally relatively new to the Marvel Universe, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, all that, and all the stuff with Thanos and his, you know, his army and all that. It, it seems to be pushing it more cosmic, and I almost could see the next big thing, you know, like <clears throat> all of the Infinity War would be like the Kree Scroll War or something, or something along those lines, the big cosmic war, and maybe you've got different, you know, maybe the Eternals are on one side and Captain Marvel's on another, 
And, you know, you can almost put some Civil War stuff, maybe kind of sprinkle a little bit of that in there. And I'd rather see the <laughs> annihilation, you know, if I were to. Yeah, or annihilation. I think I think that's what I can almost see the second Captain Marvel going. I, I almost could see them doing something bigger. You know, Nick Fury's up there with her, obviously, as we saw at the end of, uh, oh, what the hell, I can't, which one was that? Was that the end of? That was the end of uh, Spider-Man Far From yeah. Home. You know, he's up there with her, so I, I, I think that's the direction I see it going more, and I don't necessarily see them scaling it back a bit to focus on, on Rogue being the villain. Um, I mean, it's possible, yes, but I don't see them going bigger rather than, you know, smaller. Well, I think the hard thing, too, that you're going to have with Captain Marvel is, who is Captain Marvel's, like, arch enemies and nemesis? Yeah, not Rogue, much, sure, Rogue you know. is technically her biggest enemy that she's yeah. ever had. And that's the thing is, as as you get into these smaller characters that they're pulling out, like the Eternals, Captain Marvel, you know, Doctor Strange, you know, they don't really have these huge, well-known nemesis that are super interesting and, you know, characters that you want to see up there, you know. So, I mean, you have to work a little bit more, I think, to to give them those interesting movies and those protagonists that they're going to be, you know, or antagonists, whatever. Um, And I think you have to work a little bit at that, and I think that's, you know, one of the challenges now that we're getting into some of these, you know, second- and third-tier characters. Agreed. Here, give me one quick second. I want to check something. All right, how's that? That worked great, didn't it? Uh, Ah, there we go. (laughs) I just want to check some buttons, make sure buttons work. Yes. Work in progress, everybody. Technology. (laughs) Technology. Uh, All right. And uh, last few things to talk about Marvel. One, uh, they announced that they are canceling almost the entire slate of all the Hulu Marvel shows, even ones they just announced. They were going to have a Howard Duck that was going to be made by Kevin Smith. They've uh, torpedoed that. They've announced the end of a Dazzler Tigra animated series they were going to have on Hulu. Yeah. Runaways has kind of been pretty much axed off of uh, Hulu with their third season that just came out. Which I think for the most part, I mean, I think Runaways, I didn't, you know, I saw the first couple episodes, but I mean, that's one I could see maybe after three seasons, maybe it's just run its course and they're kind of wrapping that up. I don't know. I can't speak, say for sure, but I mean, none of those were really, you know, I remember seeing some of those announced and I'm like, oh. Howard the Duck, that's great, and Dazzler and Titan. Like, I mean, they're just, it's like, almost like, here, make this TV show and give us some money, and now they're just like, eh, maybe we don't want to water down our, our product that much. Well, I look at it almost in the sense that Marvel, I think with the avenue of Disney+, Plus, and I think once they kind of get near the whole uh, Infinity War, you know, Endgame sort of situation, they made tons of announcements. I'm like, that is a lot of announcements. I almost wondered if they were starting to realize we're oversaturating with a bunch of things right now. And part of it, too, is oversaturating with things that might not cross over well with other aspects of the Marvel Universe. Because I think that was it. That was the one thing I was hated about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. It was there. They would reference things, like, you know, but yeah, it but, was... but nothing really mattered that happened. In right. It. I always felt that was always one detriment to the Netflix, uh, you know, shows that Marvel had is they were there, but once again, they would reference things, but I was never feeling a part of it itself. Now, that being all said and everything, they've already stated that Disney Plus is never going to have anything that's going to be over PG-13 on their you know, network. Yeah, which I think is fine. I mean, most of them, I don't, can't imagine any of the Marvel stuff would be anyway. So, were they? what if they were to relaunch like their whole Defenders line on Hulu? Now, I don't know how that would handle with the old shows if Netflix has exclusive rights of only broadcasting all shows but you know if you brought back daredevil if you brought back luke cage you know could you put them on hulu at this point and 
You could, but I can't. I, I think part of it too is I think is they just probably want everything under Disney Plus. Like if you want your Marvel TV shows, this is where you have to go as opposed to putting them on Hulu. And could you have a Daredevil on, on Disney Plus after seeing what their Daredevil's been on Netflix at this point? I think you'd have to water it down a bit. Yes, Boo, you know, I don't which want that. no, I'm not, yeah, and I'm not saying that's good, but um, if they, but I can't imagine they're going to be rebooting that anytime soon since that's still so fresh in everybody's mind and still you know still technically part of the universe yeah, I mean, it's still part you know, of the universe i want to see charlie cox back as daredevil bring him back yeah oh yeah he did a heck of a job i don't think there's any you know arguing that but i, I can't necessarily see them going back to those characters you know anytime soon just because all that is so fresh in everybody's mind you know, and good for them getting rid of a Kevin Smith Tower of the Ducks show because yeah. I, I did you see about the latest announcement of Kevin Smith's He Man? I think I was it a casting thing. Oh yeah, there was a huge cast on there. One of the people he cast, he's got a quick casting his goddamn daughter and things. She is not a talented person, and who is she supposed to be in it? Some character I've never heard of before, but <laughs> it it's just everything. Like I haven't, I've yet to see the Jan Silent Bob reboot, but it's like I'm gonna put my daughter in there. It's like we get yeah. it. You want your daughter to be this successful movie person? She's not. Granted, she has a sag card, and we don't, so what the hell do we know? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, last thing we'll touch on on the Disney before we move on to our next topic. One uh, character, uh, one actor in general came out and said that he would love to play Mr. Fantastic. And when I thought about it, we did our fantasy uh, casting for the Fantastic Four several episodes ago. We did, and I did not see this announcement. Uh John Krasinski of The Office said he would love to play Mr. Fantastic. And I sat there and thought, you know what? Yeah. yeah, and he's one I've seen people before say that he should play Mr. Fantastic. And I, would, I wouldn't argue that. I think he could have the right air of both, you know, intelligence and, and whatever. I think I think he'd do a good job. Right. But makeup, come on. I know you won't listen to me. I know you all listen to me, Disney. I yeah. think you realize on, Kevin the Fogey. eyes of industry are upon us. And make, come on, make Jim Halpert Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, you can do much worse. That's for darn sure. Yeah, they they need to figure something out. I think they they've been sitting on this whole Fantastic Four X Men thing, and maybe once again, come this summer, you know, once you have all their first two movies come out, you'll get a clearer idea how things are. And- yeah, and I, well, and I think that's another thing too is that they've shown that they're they're more in favor of the you know the the slow play. Like I don't think they're going to rush these out. I think that you know I think. Once they knew those were coming back into house, I think they sat down and they're like, okay, how do we want to bring these back into the you know the Marvel universe? How do we want to make it seem natural? You know, we can't obviously say that mutants have been around this whole time, and we just haven't seen them. You know, so they've you know I think they're figuring out stories ways that make sense rather than just let's throw the X Men out there and say, yeah, we're here, guys. Look, we're mutants, yay! And you know, so I it's it's another thing they've they've earned I think my trust in you know telling the story how they want to tell it, and I'm, I'll be curious to see how that goes and trust that they will be good when they do come out all right moving on to our third topic concerts so everybody seems to be going on tour this summer almost it's where the money seems to be lately from what i hear so i mean over the past let's say one month uh there's been tours been ranging from the rage against machine run the jewels you know reunion tour you have uh primus that was just announced today that's going to be touring with uh Wolf Mother, as they do a whole tribute to Rush. Uh, you have the Rolling Stones. You have now the aforementioned mentioned Corn uh, and Faith No More tour. Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. I mean, you're you're seeing a lot of big gun touring coming out, and a lot of the tickets went on sale with the past couple of weeks. And 
I took a look at some of those prices, and yeah, <laughs> Jesus. So first off, we're going to talk about Rage Against Machine and their PR ticket issues at this point. So um, Rage Against Machine, they uh, announced that they were going to do a reunion tour, their first, you know, I guess, tour in almost over two decades at this point. And the demand for amazing, their show sold out. They've added many second shows onto the tour at some of the stops, including well, here in Minnesota, they included a second stop as well. Looking at the tickets, though, the minimum tickets, regardless, uh, were $125 a ticket. Yeesh. And let's say you wanted to take two people to go see the show. So, all right, that's uh, two times 125 250 and then 40, 40 additional dollars in convenience fees. You're paying yeah. almost over $300. That's not even for the good seats. Well, no. That's general emission up like, no. We'll talk about what bad pricing for seats are <laughs> soon, but a lot of people were mad about the overall general initial ticket price Rage Against the Machine in the first place. And part of their response is they set the pricing in a point to try to help discourage scalpers. And they did have other tickets set aside with other premium fees attached to them that you know that would be donated and stuff. But a lot of people are giving a lot of heat of Rage Against Machine about you know just the ticket prices itself. Now, let me first ask this: Do you think they're being unfairly blamed for this? Yes and no. I mean, I think concerts like these are in a weird place. Like you'd mentioned, like scalpers are a huge thing. Like it seems like bands can't seem to win like they either do something like this where they try and stop it and the fans get mad or they release it in a more traditional manner and then you know these scalping companies come along just scoop everything up and the regular fans can't get them so i mean you know i don't know if this was the answer i mean honestly i don't think if you're a hardcore rage against the machine fan you know i mean 125 bucks probably isn't a horrible price i mean it's not like what you know what the stones tickets are going for like we'll get to in a minute i mean I, I think, though, some people, though, their argument is, is that, hey, Rage Against Machine, you've always been about, you know, not consumerism and trying to be, you know, true yeah. to people, but here you are charging $125. I, I have this kind of look at it. Now, who's the other band with Rage Against Machine? Uh, what is it? Run the Jewels, right? Run the Jewels is actually a very popular rap band yes. as it goes. So if it was just Rage Against Machine and then maybe just some other like lame duck opening act, 125 might seem high, but to see both Rage Against Machine and Run the Jewels, I'm more willing to forgive the 125 for that, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, looking at that aspect, I mean, yeah, you're getting a double bill there. I mean, that's kind of like the, you know, the Guns N' Roses and Metallica concert we went to way back in the day. You know, you, you're paying a premium, but you're getting two A-list bands. You and, know. you know, I look in the sense that the price is high. Really, I don't get why people don't get mad at Ticketmaster more. Ticketmaster, no, yeah, my absolutely. bigger thing is this. Fine, you're going to charge $125 for a ticket. That's fine. The fact that Ticketmaster is slapping almost an additional $20, $30 in chargers per yeah. ticket, that's just ridiculous when you're spending almost about 25% of your ticket price on top of, let's say, the ticket. And all of it's for just these convenience fees and all these things. Even if you're doing will call, you're still being charged some sort of convenience fee, which is... Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like I, I've seen where it costs more money to like print tickets at home than it does to like get them mailed to you, which is just friggin' insane. Right. It's, it's become a horrible issue. I mean, Ticketmaster is part of it. Uh, I know there's a few other uh, companies out there, like uh, I think uh, Jam Company is one of the other ones. Yeah, there's a, couple, there's a few different ones, and none of them are, you know, saints by any means. Right. There, there's not a, like, I mean, I, honestly, 
The best shows I think I ever enjoy buying tickets for locally around here is when I go to any concert at First Avenue because if it's a twenty dollar ticket, maybe I'm paying about three, four bucks more, you know, yeah. for fees. But you know, that's just the thing. I'm seeing bands at like First Avenue for twenty dollars. Yeah. And even like some of the other stuff, like Beck played at the uh, Armory last year, and I think even his tickets starting like some of the base t- like line tickets were like around forty five fifty dollars or so. Which once again, this is Beck, a guy that yeah. you know has done well for himself. I I get the whole issue though, because I think the bigger problem is this. You're right, there is a problem with the secondary market where you have robots and machines that are buying and scooping up tickets. So yeah. and. There's been a few things I've seen that have been done to help deter that. Like one of the things I wish more bands would do, and some do this. Like I remember I went and saw Nine Inch Nails back in 2013, and when you bought the tickets through Nine Inch Nails, you, the ticket holder, had to be present to pick up the tickets at will call. They weren't gonna, and then yeah. you you had to go in and you had to have your ID. Yeah, I've I've seen that where like I've seen it for with uh. Well, what is it? Blizzard when they do their BlizzCon is is you buy the tickets and you have a certain amount of time to transfer them to somebody else. But after whatever that cutoff date is, they're yours and you're stuck with them. You know, and I think things like that where yeah, you need your ID or something, something similar is definitely a much better way than just you know opening the floodgates to whoever or charging insane amounts of of money for these things. It's you know, but it's definitely the the industry needs to figure something out. Right, because I would say this. You know what? The good news is this, is that if you're actually wanting to go see the concert, great. You're going to go see the concert. I understand things come up and maybe you have to get rid of the tickets. But then create a system where, hey, I cancel the tickets and then have like almost like a floating queue. And then whoever's... Well, it's kind of like, I think, didn't the the wild the Minnesota Wild, our hockey team here, didn't they have a thing where like you could just... The warming house. Yeah, where you'd release your, you know, like, okay, I can't go to the show and it's maybe a week before the concert. Like you release it back through Ticketmaster... And you know, and and it gets sold that way. Like somebody who's on a waiting list, there is like, oh hey, this ticket came up and it's in the price range that I'm looking for, and I'll buy it. And then you get paid for whatever's, and maybe it's not even full face value what you paid for it, but at least you're not getting screwed out of the entire ticket value. Or it was something. something different too. I mean, the warming house was more about just hey, when there was a wait for season tickets, and you know, it showed it. Hey, if you're out, here's the next person in. I don't know. There, there's not an easy one solution for this. And no. I think, as I said, as long as people feel that there could be profit be made from tickets, that's always going to be part of the problem. Now, all of that being said, so that was just Rage Against Machine. Now, let's talk about Guns N' Roses and Rolling Stones and the price of premium seats. Yeah, that's, a, that's another rise of that I could definitely do without. So I was curious, and I looked up the Rolling Stones. Now, Understand the Rolling Stones, I respect as a band. I feel that I actually prefer the Rolling Stones over the Beatles when it comes to various rock bands, when people talk about classic rock bands and who had the biggest impact. That being said, we're talking a bunch, bunch of guys that are pushing their 70s and higher at this point. And the Rolling Stones, so for their nosebleed seats at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, which, by the way, you've, you've never been to the bank yet, have you? Couple times, yeah. Oh, once, once for a. I don't even remember what that. Oh, it was for a monster truck jam thing. So you know how big that place is. Now imagine it's, yeah, that no. It's not a small place. Imagine that nosebleeds up there, two hundred dollars per ticket for those nosebleed seats. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. I mean, that's one of those things. I think if you're looking for, you know, I just want to go see the Rolling Stones, and I don't care, you know, how close I am, whatever. And you know, that's probably a reasonable price if if you're a big fan like that to see. 
you know, one of the biggest bands of all time, you know, then, you know, realistically, probably one of the last tours they're going to do. I mean, I'm sure they're still going to be touring for a bit to come, but, you know, it could potentially be the last time that they're going to come. Well, there's always a potential for last time, and there's another act I'll talk about in a few moments about, you know, when is their last time, but, you know... So 200 for nosebleed. Now they have assigned seats all on the floor level. So it's not even general emission on the floor. It's all, they're going to put a bunch of chairs down on the main level down there. Uh, up to seven or no, assigned seats could range anywhere from 500 to $700. Yeah. That's just the ground level. You're not even be able to walk around. You're basically just sitting on the ground level staring at a stage which the age group that's going to this that's probably not a bad thing <laughs> you have a pit area that's around like they have it where the stage has like that center runway strip that comes out a little so like mick can come out there or like hey there's a guitar solo and you gotta do that but they have like these two pit areas and that's like 700 to like about a thousand dollars or so for those seats right there yeah and i look at stuff like that and and i think this if this was a band in their prime at the height of their fame, fine. But this is what you're starting to see with a lot of these legacy bands is like, you know, this could be their last time, to your point. You know, so you're going to pay up to $1,000 a seat just to go yeah. see them possibly for the last and time. And I think that's where you're, you're marking, you know, this is, you know, this is for the lawyers and the doctors and the people who have just way too much disposable income that they're going to drop $1,000 on a ticket, you know, or you're just super, super hardcore fans that, you know, don't even care and this is going to be their big you know this is the super bowl think about like other industries if they did that kind of just dumb shit there like if you went to a bakery like at six o'clock in the evening it's like this is the last (laughs) time you'll see these donuts possibly ever so instead of them being like 65 cents a donut they're now five dollars a donut we're never gonna make this glazed donut again until tomorrow (laughs) when they announce that they're gonna make the glazed donut again and this time we put a little bit more sugar in it (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it's going to have custard inside of it. Maybe jelly. We don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, I saw that with the Rolling Stones, and I just sat there, and it's like, that's just that's just bad. I Fuck you, Rolling Stones. I like you and everything, but that right there just seems like a horrible cash grab right there. And Yeah, which is clearly all they're doing is they're just, you know, well, they're, they're touring for the money. Think about it this way, too. That's not even just that. So imagine, like, the parking around the stadium. I'm sure there's going to be places oh, charging a hundred dollars for oh, parking. Yeah, absolutely. That's you get inside there, you want a beer, and it'll be probably about twenty dollars a beer. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, that that that's not going to be a cheap night out. Now, Guns and Roses, they're uh, touring again this year, and Guns and Roses, they're playing uh, our outdoor venue at Target Field, where the Minnesota Twins play baseball. Now, with them, all right, it's a bit more reasonable. Like it's two fifty for the main level, and fifty seven for the nosebleed. But yeah, I, I'd say fine. It's a little bit better. Once again, two fifty for the main level. Yeah, that's a little spendy. Um, not too surprising, I don't think, considering it's Guns N' Roses, just because of the you know the name and the mythos they have built around them. You know, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised fifty seven bucks is as cheap as it, you know is as is what the price is for the nosebleeds. I I could easily see now, them saying, you know, it's 100 bucks for nosebleeds and, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But here's why 57, I can see why it's cheaper because 
you're not talking an indoor concert now. You're talking an outdoor venue, and you're at the upper outmost part of where the viewing is. That sound is going to escape a lot more. So the sound quality there is going to be a lot bad. Actually, I feel bad anybody has some nosebleed seats for the Rolling Stones at U.S. Bank because I heard the echo in there is just absolutely horrible. Oh, yeah, I've heard the acoustics at U.S. Bank is just Yeah, it's just a horrible thing there. But, you know, Guns N' Roses is fine. Once again, here's a band, had a reputation. People, they had like three and a half good albums, you know, three, four good albums. And then Axl Rose went crazy for about a couple decades. Then he put out the Chinese Democracy, and <laughs> but I mean that's that's just it. Is that you know you have bands that like and the funny thing is this: this is Guns N' Roses charging these like prices, and that's because there's still a weird edgy demand for it. Meanwhile, like you could go see Foreigner at a local casino around here for like only maybe thirty dollars a ticket. Yeah. You know, and you sit there, all right, is Guns N' Roses, you know, $220 better than Foreigner? And mm-hmm. I hate Foreigner, to be quite honest, but <laughs> if I had to, like, choose the economy between the two, it's like, well, maybe I might go see Foreigner for <laughs> $220 less. But, I mean, I think that's just a weird thing is, like, how the pricing goes now for some of these, you know, bands and groups. And uh, so, one, like, going back to what you were saying about bands and their prime and last time, Ozzy just announced today he's canceling his tour for the second consecutive year that, you know, for health reasons, he can't do it. Ah, man, I, I don't think Ozzy can tour again. No, I think, I mean, he, and he's been doing retirement tours for decades, I think, literally. I think I went to one of them quite a while ago with corn opening for him or something like that. Oh, um, I, I remember back in 1990, the No More Tours tour that we I went to. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you go there, or was it just me and Mark that went to that? That might have been all three of us. I know I went to one. I'm pretty sure did Corn open that one. I thought Corn no, opened it. No, no. I don't think it was them. It was No More Tours was like mid-late 90s. That was the album they had Perry Mason. Yeah. Perry Mason hey, and... Uh, yeah, that's something, some, something with his mom, or I don't remember what the hell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I know health-wise he's not doing good, which is unfortunate. You don't want to, you know... You don't want to see any of that. Obviously, it'd be nice if you could tour for another two decades, um, health-wise. But you know, at the same time, you don't want to be out there. You know, it'd be sad just parading him out in front of people when he clearly shouldn't be. At the same time, so yeah, like I know Roger Waters, he's now touring now, and yeah, once again, yeah, he was a great musician in his day. Is he still good? Like thirty years outside the prime, and is it worth yeah. the premium you're paying for? And I think. You know, our concert's now becoming unfeasible to go to because of the pricing. Well, I think it's almost like, you know, the, the it's the nostalgia thing. You know, you're going, you know, like Roger Waters, and, he, you know, somebody's going to be like, oh, my God, I used to love, you know, him back in the day, you know, Pink Floyd, this whole thing. And, you know, I mean, it it's one of those things where people are going to, you know, it's like, I used to listen to that all the time. I'm going to this concert. It's going to be sweet. And, you know, now they've got a lot more disposable income. So instead of the maybe 50, 60 bucks they would have paid back in the day, now they're like, oh, 200 bucks? Uh, it's a little spendy, but it'll be a good show. And, you know, I can relive some of those years, just like, you know, when they trot out, like, Transformers every now and then, or G.I. Joe, or stuff like that. You know, I forget what the, the cycle on a PPSA is. Every 20 years, things come back, and, you know, just when people's nostalgia gets, you know, hit up for it. I, I think it depends on just how big you go as a band. Like, were you were you a band that danced around the fringe on the outside, or were you a band that was a legitimate, like, number one band? I, I think the last two concerts I went to, and I think about them, both are the same band. I saw Local H um, at the Amsterdam Hall down in St. Paul like about several months ago, and 
I think five, six months prior to that, I saw them at like First Avenue and both concerts I paid only 20 and $25 respectfully. And both were just amazing shows itself. They have a new album that's coming out later this year. So I'm stoked about that. But I mean, that's, it's, I think there's those bands that go out there, they put on amazing shows and they do it for a living, but they also do it because they enjoy it as well. And I don't think yeah. it's not quite the cash and money grab that like, as an example, like Motley Crue now going on tour again this year after they signed a legal document saying they would never tour again. Yeah. And now you have Motley Crue, Poison, and Def Leppard all out on this mega tour at this point. And you sit there and think, yep, that reeks horribly of a cash grab at this point. It's like every time Kiss says, this is it, we're going to retire. And it's like, fuck you. Well, you I think what it, do- what I think what it does is I think to compare the two, like you said, I think something like the local H thing you're talking about, where it's a twenty thirty dollar thing. Like I've never been a huge local H fan. Like I, you know, I don't mind them, but uh, you know, I think you would offer to offer me to go one of them, and I couldn't for whatever reason. But like for twenty thirty bucks, you know, just on a whim, I'm like yeah, sure, what the heck? I mean, you'll spend twenty thirty bucks just buying drinks, going and hanging out at the bar. But you know, why not go see concert for a good hour? It was and a half, amazing. But... I mean, they, it was a great performance. I mean, it. I mean, there's some bands out there that are hardworking. Another band that I saw at First Avenue like about three, four years ago, same thing. I only paid like $20 a ticket as I saw the heavy at like uh, First Avenue. And Yeah, and you, you can do stuff more casually like that, whereas these bigger, you know, like that, you know, Motley Crue tour, or Guns N' Roses, whatnot, you have, it's, a, it's an event. Like, okay, this is the big thing we're doing now, and you have to plan for it, and it's this huge thing, whereas, you know, you can be a lot more casual when you go see those smaller bands in the smaller venues and, you know, sometimes maybe see some opening band you've never heard of before. And like, you know, hey, those guys were pretty decent. Like, I remember seeing when we saw, and this doesn't really fall into the, the venue, the category of a smaller venue and smaller band, but, like, when we saw Iron Maiden, Ghost was their opener. You know, I'd never really heard of Ghost before, and they were actually pretty decent, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you can certainly get that on the smaller scale, too. You know, you'll see some band that you like and pay 20 bucks, and, you know, opening band is maybe pretty decent, and you get into them, too. Yeah, right now I'm just sort of browsing through my phone. I'm going through First Avenue. Uh, let's see, who Atmosphere, well, of course, that's sold out, but $35 yeah. is the Atmosphere, which, which, hey, Minnesota, Atmosphere is a nice Minnesota rap legend, so... Maybe outside of Minnesota, you guys don't care about them. That's perfectly good. Um, hang on. Let's see. I think they do fairly well for themselves outside of Minnesota. I think they're so, not, but I, I think we they're maybe... Not, they're over, overrun the jewels, but yeah, they're definitely... We overvalue them, I think, a bit more. Oh, yeah. That's a $20 show like in, you know, Montana or wherever the hell else you would play. I don't know, New York. Well, a lot of things coming to First Avenue in the next couple of months. Oh, Wilco is going to be coming in, like, March, which... 50 bucks for Wilco. Eh. Yeah, it seems a little spendy for me at least. Wilco was one of those bands that always like seemed bigger than it was what it was and if you want to like have credit like rock credibility, you would always talk about Wilco, but yeah. They were always one of those bands that, you know, they're not bad and like it'd be different. It's, it's different like Stephen Malkmus of like Pavement as an example where he is a legitimately great musician, but you know, once again, he's held in a high regard. But you know what? I feel he's worth it more than Wilco, if I were to compare the two. Going through, wow. Not a lot coming through March. Well, that's because of all these huge concerts have just been announced. So Everybody's saving their money, so nobody's tr- nobody's going to the smaller ones. That's it. If you'd, like, some of these concerts I was intrigued with, but, like, you know, once again, if you were to go to even two or three of these concerts, that's like smelling, that's like spending, like, about... Almost like you know a grand in concerts. Once you figure out all the fees and yeah, if you're a big music fan, that's yeah, it's crazy. Ooh, 
Monster Magnet, you can go see for 27 That would be an interesting show. Once again, $27. I don't mind. Hey, funny that we mentioned Stephen Malkmus. Stephen Malkmus, he'll be at the main room of First Avenue, $25. There you go. <laughs> Full circle. I'd rather go to Monster Magnet. I think I saw Monster Magnet once. I think they were at the Edge Fest I was at. I they might have. That was the that was when I was sick and I couldn't go. Yeah. That was a good year. Bush was there, Corn, Faith No More. Mm-hmm. That was one of the times I accidentally saw the Ramones and don't remember it. Listen, I've accidentally seen Limp Biscuit three times, so don't talk to me about it accidentally. <laughs> Sucker. All right, well, I'm sick of scrolling through bands. Like, I'm going through, like, the early April at this point right now and not seeing anything yeah. else at First Avenue. Go, oh, dis- go discover something new. We could go see the Crash Test Dummies. How do you think it would feel like to have to sit through, like, a hour, 45-minute performance of theirs? They play every song, but you know that's going to be the last song. and <laughs> You're just waiting for that one radio. You're just theirs. waiting for, like, there's that one guy out in the crowd just, like, screaming, play the mm-mm song. <laughs> He's like, we have a lot of other songs, and not just that one. And it's like, shut up, play the mm-mm song. We're going to play all of our songs off the new album. We don't care. We just want the mm-mm song. Play taking care of business. Okay. Uh, well, we're hitting about the hour point at this level, so I think we've covered everything we want to talk about. Anything else you want to address? Um, what else? I will say, just as a real quick aside, since we talked about Metallic last time, we're talking about music. Their, their intro music, XD of Gold, possibly the best intro music you can have. Mm. Yep. It gets a little bit of play in that documentary, Some Kind of Monster, and then I was listening to S&M where... It opens up on there because that's well, a, they they did that throughout the, like, yeah. well, oh, like yeah, multiple been, tours. Like, oh even, yeah, no, it's been like their opening thing for concerts for probably their entire existence. But I'm just saying, been a chunk of it. Yes, I'm just saying it's an excellent intro. Good on them. Um, wow. So if you want to go see Ween at Surly's new festival field, sixty dollars. Yeah, no, that's that's I'm, a bit much. For I'm Ween. not paying sixty dollars for Ween. Screw no. you, Ween. Ween off. That what? <laughs> so anyhow uh I'd like to thank you for joining this episode feel free to share it around oh john neil hamburger <laughs> twenty dollars who the hell was that he, he's like he's a comedian that oh all right i'll tell you after <laughs> the fact right here or how about the meat puppets for thirty dollars no well 30 eh, no i'm gonna stick with no but it's not like you can get nirvana to sing their songs <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. But That's cold, Mike. It's still just the meat puppets. Ministry for forty? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know about forty. I'd do thirty for ministry. Let's see, August. Oh, what the hell? I do forty for ministry. Ministry's good stuff. All right. That would be an interesting show. I'd like to see the the, the audience in that one. It'd be an interesting group. And that only goes into April. So thanks for joining us and uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Uh, subscribe us. Hey, because we're on Stitcher if you prefer that as your platform. And You're thank you Trump's. very much. Yes. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>